Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here and those joining us at all of our campuses, our online West Tonka and Bush Lake campus. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach and I have the joy of serving here as one of the pastors on staff. And it's my joy to continue us along in our summer sermon series uh, on the Psalms of Ascent. This is, these are the Psalms where the pilgrims of the nation of Israel, they would go up to the city of Jerusalem during these religious festivals. And these Psalms, Psalms 120 to Psalm 134, It was kind of like their playlist. It was the psalms that they would sing or say together as they were going up as a nation and as a community of faith. And we can draw so many parallels between their journey and also our journey of life and faith. And so when I was kind of thinking and uh, prayerfully reflecting on this this message today, I was thinking about my own journey and just thinking about all the the fun and the, the crazy times that I've had, but then also some of the awkward times and some of those times whenever I've maybe felt a, a little bit off. And so I just want to start with a really direct question here. Have you ever in your life felt uh, a, a season or a mon- monumental time in which you were so wildly insecure? Okay, like no, no punches held, right? All right, when have you felt secure in your, insecure in your own life? Think about it. I've had that maybe once or twice in the last week, if I'm honest, okay? But I think about one example in particular when I go back to my time in college. I had the chance to study uh, up at Bethel University in St. Paul, and I wasn't like all the other kids, okay? I I got recruited to play hockey up there, and and I took a few years after high school. I took two years to go and play what's called junior hockey. Uh, But not only that, I was also from Texas. And so as I'm sitting there, during our kind of welcome week orientation, we're sitting in this big circle, going around, just kind of getting to know one another quite a bit. And the questions were this, you know, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing here? All right, pretty uh, harmless questions. And, you know, it kind of went around and people were like, you know, I'm from Chanhassen or Minnetonka or Woodbury. And like, as I'm listening to all these, these cities, like as an outsider, I'm, they're like saying things like, you know, I'm from Minnehaha, White Bear, Tonka, Still Falls, Right. Like, that's, that's the name of these cities that I'm, I'm hearing. This is crazy. They all sound the same. And, uh, and then they're like, you know, I'm here because I'm an eighth-generation leaf bladder, a seventh-generation Hallstrom. For those of you who study at Bethel, you know who I'm talking about, all right? Or, uh, or I'm here to study business or psychology. And then they'd get around to me, all right? And they'd be like, well, where are you from? I'd be like, well, I'm from Texas. And they're like, what? Texas? What is a Texan doing here? The furthest away that we have people is, is Wisconsin, and that's so far out there. And be like, what are you doing here? And I'd kind of crack a smile and be like, I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to play hockey. And they'd like fall out of their seats. They'd be like, how is a Texan a hockey player? Like, what? And, you know, I'm like trying to, you know, in and, and good faith, just kind of say, well, is God since he hear me? I'm trying to figure out how to answer the question. And, and I realized that their posturing was really coming from a position of just curiosity. They, they had no ill intent around it. Or at least I don't think they did. Maybe they did. Maybe they just talked about me behind my back. Who knows? But what I realized is that when they were asking those questions, those were echoing questions that if I'm honest, I, I heard those questions every single year prior to that year, except it came from people who maybe didn't have the best intentions in mind. They'd approach me and they'd say, wait, you're from Texas, you, you play hockey? Are you serious? And it was some of those questions that at times would kind of wound me and raise up insecurity in my life to where I'd ask some of those questions in my own head, do I really belong here, right? Am I good enough to, to play on this team? Will I fit in with my teammates? And so how about you? As I asked before, have you ever experienced a time or a season when you have navigated insecurity in your own life? You know, because I think insecurity is synonymous for all of our life journey. And so what is it that insecurity does? Insecurity causes us to ask those questions, do I belong here? Will people like me? Will I fit in? Insecurity, it forces us to, 
um, run and hide, sometimes to, to stuff down inside what we might be feeling. Uh, insecurity forces us to look inwards, right? We know every single blot and blemish on our faces. And so we look inward instead of looking outwards and it makes it difficult to love others well. Uh, sometimes insecurity can manifest itself in arrogance because we're trying to overcompensate for our insecurities that we might have. Insecurity leads to shame. And I realize that some of you might be sitting there and you might be thinking, I'm not insecure, right? Can I be honest? This, this message might be for you then, <laughs> all right? But even if it's not, right, you might not be navigating insecurity in your life right now, but I'm sure that we can think about someone who is. And so how can we step into the story with other people? to help them navigate through their insecurity. And, and so we're going to be looking at Psalm 125 because this Psalm does speak about it. And as we look at Psalm 125, we're going to be looking at this one question, which is this, what does it look like to navigate insecurity with the help and presence of God? Okay. Notice we said that word navigate, because I don't think that it's sort of a one and done thing. I think that we're going to be navigating insecurity throughout our life. However, as we navigate it, God is with us. He's providing his help and his presence along the way. And so we're going to be pulling this from Psalm 125. And as we do that, we'll see really three key movements that we'll see. We'll see, first of all, whenever it comes to insecurity, we'll see this confession. How we can have a confession of trust and faith amidst our insecurity. Second, we'll see confidence. That as we have this confession of trust, that will build within us a newfound sense of confidence. And then third, as we live into this confidence, we'll have a calling. A calling to live out. And so a confession of trust, confidence, and then finally, a calling that we can live into. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 125. And as has been our custom over the last several weeks, I want to invite you to to stand with us. Even if you're joining online, stand with us there. So let's stand together and let's unite our hearts and our voices as we read Psalm 125. It should be here on the screens. It says this. Let's read together. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Thank you so much. Y'all can grab a seat. Psalm 125. And so the first thing that we want to begin to look at is really this idea of a confession. Because sometimes whenever we are journeying throughout our life, we sometimes have that question. You know, it's like, ah, whatever season I find myself in, I just feel so unable. I feel unable to do whatever it is that is before me. And that's where we see this invitation into a confession. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says this, Those who trust in the Lord, they are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, But the first thing that we see is is it's saying those who trust in the Lord, what are they like? They are like Mount Zion. Okay, what is Mount Zion? Well, Mount Zion was the the mountain right there in Jerusalem. And it was really a a city or a a temple mount of, of permanence because that's where the temple of God stood. And so the idea that it has is because it has God's presence that Everything around it might shake and quake. However, Mount Zion is going to stand steadfast. And so you can see uh, it's going to be like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And so when we think about our own life and journey, right, this doesn't mean that we're going to be uh, omitting the earthquakes that go on all around us. But what this does mean is that whenever we put our trust in God, we are like Mount Zion, that even though the earth shakes and quakes, we will be steady and steadfast. 
But then it continues on in verse two, and it says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Now, when I was at Bethel, I had the chance to study in Jerusalem for a month. And our professor, our guide, really equated Jerusalem. He used this really interesting word picture. He said, I want you to imagine Jerusalem almost like the bump in the bottom of a bowl. Okay, some of us have those bowls in our kitchen where there's a little groove, there's a little bump, and then all the surrounding parts of the bowl come around it. And really what we see is that the, the psalmist is using this image of Jerusalem, of the mountains that are surrounding, the Mount of Olives on one side, surrounding all of Jerusalem to provide protection and provision. And so what we ultimately see is that it's establishing this endurance and the steadiness, but it also symbolizes God's protection around us. And so when we think about this confession, it's a confession of trust that we're saying, God, I confess that you are faithful, that you are with me in all things. And so when I, I think about my time in Jerusalem, I, I had this realization one day when our professor said, yeah, you see those mountains over there? Yeah, those mountains have been here since Jesus walked the earth. Those are the same mountains yesterday, today, and guess what? If you come back again, they're gonna still be there. And that's the, the word picture that we can begin to understand that no matter what we're going through, God is steady and he is steadfast as well. Like the mountains there in Jerusalem, providing protection and provision for us. Though the earth quakes and shakes, we will endure and God will provide his protection around us, surrounding you and me. And I love this idea because it's not just self-esteem, right? That's what uh, we all want to believe in, but self-esteem can only get us so far. It's, it's really Christ-esteem. And, and what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, whenever we put our trust in God, uh, what it means is that no longer do we have shame, but now we have steadiness. No longer do we run, but now we have rest. No longer do we have fear, but now we have faith. And it's just the words that we sang just a little bit ago about building our life, you know, saying those words, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. Though everything might shake around us, God is with us in all things. But then the thing that I want to call back our attention to is the opening word that it says, those who trust in the Lord, they are like Mount Zion and they will be surrounded by the Lord. And that one little word, in our English it's a few words, but in Hebrew it's one word, those who trust in the Lord, it's really a participle. And, and what does that mean? Well, it's really an identifying mark. It helps to define and identify the people of God, that they are the ones who trust in God. But think about how we identify ourselves typically. Like if I was to step off the platform here and come around and be like, hey, how would you identify yourself? How would you define yourself? If I was to put a microphone in your face, many of you probably wouldn't like that, okay? But how would we respond to it? We would probably say, oh, you know, I'm a CEO or I'm a businessman, businesswoman, I'm a stay-at-home parent, I'm a pastor, a teacher. But here what this means is it's an identifying, it's a defining mark of those who trust in the Lord. And so what would it look like if we just said that? How do you identify yourself? I'm one who trusts in the Lord. I'm one who trusts in him who surrounds me. I'm the one who trusts in the Lord and I will be like Mount Zion, unshaking and unnerving no matter what is going on around us. And as we think about it though, I mean, we naturally put our trust and our faith and our confidence in things every single day, do we not? I mean, let me just use an example really quick. I know this is kind of like an extreme example, but suppose you uh, all of a sudden had to realize you needed to go in for heart surgery, like open heart surgery. Okay, and you go in and you start having a conversation with a doctor. Okay, you're probably feeling a little bit fearful. Maybe uh, the, the course ahead is a little bit daunting. And you sit down with a doctor and the doctor looks at you and he's like, yeah, the assessment's correct. You do need open heart surgery. And then in boldness, you say, okay, all right, well, let's go through with it. But then you want to ask, okay, doctor, how many of these surgeries have you performed? 
And the doctor looks back and says, oh, I haven't done any. This would be my first one. But don't worry, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on open heart surgery. Like, no, like you wouldn't have much trust or confidence in that person versus going to one of my roommates from college whose dad was like a world-renowned doctor who studied heart palpitations and rhythms. He looked at the, the electricity going on in our heart that helped our heart have this, uh, this rhythm around it. And, and he would go and you'd go to him and you'd, you'd look him in the eyes and he'd say, listen, I know that this is daunting. I know that you are so fearful, but he's like, I've done hundreds, if not thousands of these. I've got you in my hands. He's gonna say, I'm gonna be there right with you in the beginning right through the procedure, and I'm going to be there on the other side to greet you with your family. He's like, I've got you covered. And that's the same whenever we look at God. Uh, that's the same because we can understand that uh, he is the one who hung the stars in the sky. He's the one who placed the water in the seas. He is the one like a mighty mountain that has been there for thousands upon thousands of years surrounding Jerusalem and surrounding his people. He is the one that we can have a vote of confidence in, that we can confess our trust and our peace and our faithfulness in. And so if we were to put words around this confession of trust, I think we could ultimately say this. Uh, we could say Jesus' faithfulness, God's faithfulness, gives confidence to our restless hearts. Okay, think about what is it that insecurity does? Insecurity, uh, it, it puts our hearts kind of at, at a running pace. But whenever we put this confession of trust and faith, what we ultimately see is Jesus, your faithfulness, like the mountains that surround Jerusalem, your faithfulness gives confidence to my restless heart. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O Lord. And so we've got to begin, first of all, with this confession of faith, this confession of trust and peace in who God is and, and what he's done. And then after we have this confession of trust, now we can start to understand that there is confidence for us on this journey of life and faith. And so to understand this, this confidence, you know, sometimes we, we feel in our lives that, you know, it's like, I feel so insufficient. I don't know really how to do it or I don't feel like I'm equipped to do it. It's an invitation into confidence. And so we go back to verse three and, and here's what it says in verse three. The psalmist says, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Now let's unpack this a little bit because the scepter of the wicked, right? This isn't usually what we use in our day and age. Like, oh, the scepter of the wicked is present in our day and age today, right? So what is scepter? It symbolizes rule and reign. It symbolizes the kingdom's surrounding and within the nation of Israel at this time. And, and what the psalmist is saying, what God is saying through the psalmist is he's saying, uh, the scepter of the wicked, it will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. And the land allotted to the righteous, this is the promised land that as the uh, Israelites were coming out of Egypt, God said, I'm gonna make you a people and I'm gonna give you a land. I'm gonna give you this promised land that's gonna be allotted for you. And then he said, as I give you this promised land, as this land that's allotted for you, you're gonna have a calling, you're gonna have a purpose. And he says, your purpose is to be a holy nation, a nation that is set apart, a nation that doesn't look like it blends in with all the other nations around you. And so what we see here is he's saying, uh, I'm gonna remove the, the scepter of the wicked because if I don't, then the righteous, God's people, they might use their hands to do evil. And this is what the insecurity pool does is it wants us to, to blend in and to really look like the nations around us, these wicked places at times. But what we see about it is that God's going to remove strongholds and he's going to remove any barriers that we might have so that we can follow his reign and his rule. God is saying, don't follow, don't emulate the kings of this day. I want you to follow and emulate the king of heaven, namely our king, Jesus. All right, that's the, the call that he was giving to the, the nation of Israel, a call for holiness, a nation to be set apart and to be different. Now, a little bit of contextualizing has to be done. 
Okay, because we are not the nation of Israel, all right? Uh, we are a, a new people group. We are living under the new covenant of Jesus. We are the church. And yet the principle carries over that as God called the nation of Israel to be holy and set apart and to be different, so too as the church are we called to be holy and set apart and different as well. But if we're honest, there is this gravitational magnetic pull that keeps us from uh, becoming more and more like Jesus, to be living into this confidence that we might have. But what is it then? the nation to be holy and the church to be set apart and to be different. Well, what does that look like? Well, let's, let's think about it this way. We could say this. Uh, Jesus' faithfulness gives us the confidence to be different and make a difference. Okay, you can see it right there. The confidence to be different, to not necessarily blend in, but to be holy and to be set apart. And in our holiness and being set apart and being different, we can then make a difference in the world all around us. Our holiness informs our impact, if you will. Now, this isn't so much an opportunity for us to look down upon people who don't live up to the same standards that we have, but this is an invitation to bring the hope and the light and the love of Jesus all around us. And so I want to put a little bit of wording around this of what this might look like in our lives. Um, really five statements that I want you to maybe, as you hear these, think about it and just say, yeah, you know what, I could, I could work on that. Uh, I can work on with Jesus's presence in my life, I can live into that a little bit more to be different and to make a difference. So what are those things? Well, let's start with the first one. Uh, this is what it means to be different and make a difference. What would it look like if we were patient when tempted to be hurried? I mean, yeah, that's different, right? I mean, it is so hard to be patient in this world today when everything is zero, not even to 60, zero to 100 in like three seconds flat. Now, if I'm honest, I'm gonna lay my cards before you. This one's for me, all right? You can talk to my wife, Cassie. She's like, yeah, Zach needs to work on this, okay? But ultimately what we feel, we, we feel this magnetic pull, we feel this temptation to be rushed and to be hurried. But whenever we know that we're in a hurry, it's really hard to be kind to others. It's really hard to be in love like Jesus whenever we find ourselves in a rush and in a hurry. But to be different and to make a difference, be patient when tempted to be hurried. Uh, what about the next one? It means loving when tempted to be hateful. I mean, yeah, that's different. I mean, there is so much pent-up animosity and frustration in our world today. Uh, what would it look like if we pursued love instead of animosity and hate? Uh, it means showcasing selflessness and a sacrificial nature. That's a little bit different. That's a little bit radical, is it not? How about this next one? Uh, it, it means encouraging when tempted to be discouraging. Yeah, that's different. And that's going to make a difference. Okay, we have this gravitational pull, this, this temptation to be discouraging. And I think a lot of times we see people and we want to bring them down a notch or two. But to be encouraging means to speak life into them. It doesn't mean to be a blinded optimist, but it means bringing a word of lift to those around us. Or how about this next one? What does it mean to be different and make a difference? Convicted when tempted to waver. Right, that's different. And when we look at the life of Jesus, he said this throughout his journey. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus had this deep, humble conviction that he didn't waver on. And I think that for us today, there is a pressure from every single side, from left to right, top to bottom, for us to waver on our convictions. But it's saying, here I stand in conviction with love, truth, and grace. That's different. Or finally, what about this one? Humble when tempted to be proud. I mean, yeah, that's different. And when we think about humility, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting the needs of others before even your own needs. 
And I think that maybe this one is perhaps the, the greatest indicator of insecurity in our lives because when we're insecure, we look inwards and we think, you know what, I got to look after me, myself, and I. But when we're humble, we're putting the needs of others and the wants of others before ourselves in a healthy way. And so we see, first of all, that it takes a confession of trust and faith that, God, you are the one who surrounds us like Jerusalem. And when we understand that, that pours into the confidence that we can have. The confidence not to blend in and look like everyone else, but to choose a different way, to be different and to make a difference. And then now we come into our third point, our, our, our calling that we have. And a lot of times we just say, you know, I don't really know what to do. Sometimes I feel so insecure. I don't really know what step to take. And so fortunately for us, we see this in verses four and five. It says this. The psalmist says, Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. And so what the psalmist is really doing is he's giving sort of this fork in the road moment. He's saying, oh, what are you going to pursue? Are you going to pursue goodness or are you going to pursue wicked and crooked ways? And what I appreciate about this is verse four is, is kind of antithetical to, to verse five. He, he's saying those who are good, they're upright in heart. And upright means a steady and smooth and straight and crooked means crooked. <laughs> I mean, the opposite of it, right? And he's saying that, you know what, God, similar to how he's going to remove those boundaries and, and those roadblocks, he's going to remove the crooked. He's going to lead them away as well. And so it's a calling, it's an invitation for us to do good, to be different and to make a difference in the world. And so what does it mean to do good? Well, let's hone in on verse four. All right, in verse four, it says this, Lord, do good to those who are good. Okay, what, what is good? Fortunately, we just keep reading and it says, what does it mean to be good? To those who are upright in heart. And I appreciate this so much because the psalmist speaks specifically to our heart. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we can perform external actions and behaviors. But if our heart isn't in it, it's not going to get us very far. Right? Our internal posturing will ultimately impact our external behaviors. And the psalmist wasn't just concerned with this either. Jesus spoke into it as well. In Matthew 15, he said these words. And, and Matthew doesn't pull, uh, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says this, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. And these defile them. So he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter what you eat that defiles you, but rather what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. He says, for out of the heart, once again, the heart is going to impact our words. From out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And so Jesus is driving us to this point as well. He's saying, you know, whatever comes out of your heart will ultimately become external as well. And so I just want to ask you a simple question. How is your heart? How's your heart today? Granted, I get it. We, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. That's why Jesus is gracious and loving. But what we can understand is that in order for us to live into this calling, we have to bring our heart, our affections under alignment of Jesus. Because our heart is the fountainhead of our behavior. Our affections impact our actions. And so really what we can begin to understand is that it is this blending between what's internal to become external. It's really this invitation into integrity. And so if we want to put words around this calling that we have, we could say this. Our calling is this. We have a calling to be and love like Jesus. We have a calling to be and love like Jesus. For those of you who come to Westwood regularly, you would identify this. This is our way of life, that we want to help you be and love like Jesus. And so really when we think about this, it means loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's bringing our heart under alignment and direction of Jesus to be like him in all things. And this is so hard because the heart is squirrely, is it not? I mean, the heart is going to push us and we're going to be led by our affections so often. 
But what it means to live into this calling is it means to say, God, here's my heart. I, I lay it before you. Won't you change what is inside of me based on your power and your provision so that that might become externally pure and that might become good on the outside? And so whenever we think about this calling that we have to be and love like Jesus, to bring our heart into greater alignment with Jesus, I think a lot of times if we were to illustrate it, I, I think that we've got this, this vision of where we want to be, to be in love like Jesus right here. But then here's our current reality. Okay, and you can see that there's a gap. Like we're trying to move closer and closer to, to be like him in, in all things. But there's this gap that exists. And, and because we have this gap, there's also that sort of temptation, that gravitational pull that as we move closer, we're, we're kind of getting pulled back a little bit more. And once again, we're not going to get this right 100% of the time. But we keep moving, moving, moving. And so what is it that can eliminate or, or minimize this gap right here? Uh, that as we bring our heart into greater alignment with God. Well, I think a lot of it goes back to the rhythms and the relationships that we can live into. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of a diagram that I think that if we live into these rhythms and these relationships, uh, that our heart will become more in tune and more aligned with Jesus for what it means to be in love like him. And so I'm going to put this diagram up on the screen and I just want to invite you to reflect on it. You know, is there a place where you can grow in? Is there a place where you might be falling short? And make a plan, put a plan in place to grow in that. So what is that triangle? It looks like this. It goes up, in, and out. And so three different places of relationship that we can grow in. Let me explain these here briefly. So the first part is the relationship going up. Uh, this is our relationship with God. And plain and simple, this means spending time with God. Getting into the word, spending time in prayer. Uh, you know, and for some of you, you may not even have a Bible. If that's you, come talk to me afterwards. I'd, I'd be happy to get you a Bible. But for some of us, the hindrance that's in our way is just the time that we have. And so some of you might take a step towards a media fast. Okay, and what I mean by that is, is like, wait, you're like, whoa, 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 take, take a fast from what? From social media? And so what I mean is, you know, put away the Facebook, the Instagram, maybe even put away some of the television. And rather than sitting there on the couch scrolling through your feed, you're replacing that time with time with God, getting into his word, spending time in prayer, communing with him, we see this in Jesus, to be in love like him. Jesus was getting up early in the morning and spending time with his heavenly father. And so too can we. So how are you doing whenever it comes to your upward relationship? Next, it talks about the inward relationship. And this is speaking primarily to the community that we might have with other believers. All right, and, and a lot of times when we have this, these are people who are gonna encourage us, they're gonna coach us. And even whenever we feel insecurity rising up, they can correct the places in our lives that are out of alignment with God. And this is so vital and so important for us on our journey. Jesus spent time with his 12 disciples for three and a half years, pouring into them, nurturing them, loving them. And so for us here at Westwood, we have perhaps the greatest expression of, of community comes through our group ministry. And when you walked in, you should have received an engagement card. And, and I just want to give you an invitation. If you're not plugged in to some type of community here, join a group. Okay, you can check that box on the, uh, on the engagement card there. It should say a little box there. Take it to the info spot, connect in, but be a part of it. And for those of you who are joining online, you should see the engagement card on the screen there. We want to create community for you as well so that you can jump in wherever you're joining us around the world or around the country. So it goes up, it goes in, but then the third part that we go back to is, of this triangle is to go outward. All right, and these are people who just may not know the hope and the love of Jesus in our lives. Okay, and when we think about Jesus, as we are seeking to be and love like him, to live in this calling, I mean, this is what he was all about. He was always going to people who were on the fringe, who were the downcasts and the outcasts in his life. And this is so important because the religious leaders actually took note of this and actually had a disdain for Jesus. Okay, a lot of times they would look at him and they would say, look, uh, Jesus, he is out eating with sinners and tax collectors. And so when we think about it, 
a lot of times we identify Jesus, we give him these labels. You know, he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And then we throw this one last one. And he's a friend of sinners. That's our savior, right? He's a friend of sinners. He was going to people who were outcast, who might've made us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so as we think about being and loving like him, living into this calling, the question that I have for you is this. Do you find ways to share the love of Jesus with people who might make you feel uncomfortable? You know, think about it. We don't grow. We don't allow our heart to become in greater alignment with God when we're sitting in a place of comfort and convenience. Growth comes when we get on the outside of our comfort zone. And so are you finding ways to share the love of Jesus with people who you might feel uncomfortable around? That's what Jesus did. He, he went to those who were on the fringes. And so too do we have that calling. But we realize that first of all, the calling, it comes from this confession of trust. That whenever we first confess that God is faithful, he is like the, the mountains that surround Jerusalem, so too is he a steady presence in our life that though everything might be shaking, we will endure because he is with us in all things. And that confession of trust pours into our confidence that we can have confidence not to blend in when insecurity arises, but we have a confidence to step forward and be different and make a difference. To be loving instead of hateful or to be patient instead of hurried. And when we do that, we can put legs to what that looks like through our calling to be in love like Jesus, to bring our heart into greater alignment, to go up with God, to go in with fellowship and to go out with his goodness to the world around us. And so friends, may we be those types of people. May we be those types of people who receive the goodness, the hope and the life from Jesus. And may we be vessels to just share his goodness and his hope with those all around us. May we be those people for God's glory, for our good, and for the good of our community and our world. Would you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you so much that you are with us. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so too do you surround us. You protect us. You provide for us. Even though the earth may quake and shake, when we place our trust upon your love, we will not be shaken. And so, Lord, I just pray that we can live into this calling to be and love like you. For those who might in this time and in this season experience insecurity in whatever shape or form that might look like, may they know your healing touch. May they know your presence in a magnified manner. And Lord, may we think of someone, maybe even right now, who is navigating insecurity, fear in their own life. Friends, think of someone in your mind. And as Jesus moved towards those, may we also move towards those who are navigating and battling insecurity to bring God's goodness into their life. And so, Lord, may we be a people on mission for your goodness and the goodness of your name in our world and in our community. Be honored and be praised. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.